So continuing the discussion on this topic of sannyasa, where we say the word sannyasa is used by Lord Krishna primarily in the sense of the one who is free from the sense of doership and therefore even while appearing to perform action, one who does not perform action. By not performing action, it is not meant that the person is totally inactive or not doing anything at all at the level of body or the senses, because that is not a problem at all. Really, action can be a problem whenever there is this abhimana or this, this self-consciousness that I am performing action. There is self-consciousness that I am responsible for this action. So it is a self-conscious, self-consciousness that really creates the stresses and burden that action has. In a way, therefore, Lord Krishna is telling us here how to perform, how to conduct everything, how to perform all the actions, how to fulfill all responsibilities, whatever it is required to be done, how to do it without any stress at all. And that is what Lord Krishna is teaching. That the wise person who has become free from this notion that I am a doer, because it is a notion, this has been explained earlier, <coughs> it will explain right away in this chapter also, in, as to how this, this conclusion on my part that I is performing action, is not a reality about I. The reality about I is that I is ever actionless. It is in presence of I, in presence of self that all actions get performed, and that all the activities belong at the level of the body, at the level of mind, sense organs. This is what was said and will be said. <coughs> and therefore, this sense of doership, that is this notion or conclusion that I am performing action arises from identification with this body-mind complex, which is where the doership is really involved. And on account of identification with that, I superimpose a doership upon myself and thus entertain a notion <coughs> or a burden that I am the doer of the action. <coughs> that is where the stress begins. The, the primarily the stress begins from this point that I am the doer of the action. And then the stress will increase 
as I take more and more responsibility, as I look upon myself responsible for success or for failure, then further stress is come. <coughs> then when I brand myself as a success or failure, yet further stress is come. <coughs> so first of all, identification with this body-mind complex, then identification with karma or the action, and then identification with the consequence of action, namely karma phala. See how the identification slowly and slowly spreads. <coughs> and then identification with what, what happens as a result of karma. For example, that I take myself to be the doer of an action that arises from identification with this upadhi. And then I identify the action and say that I am responsible for that. I am the one who performs the action. It is I. It is my abilities, my strengths, my capabilities, my this and this, and that I, such and such, is performing the action. That means, I take the total credit for performing the action. <coughs> and, subsequently, identification with the result of the action, that I produce the result. And therefore, I am successful or I am failure. <coughs> So stress level is increasing as it, you know the identification progresses, the level of stress also progresses. <coughs> and most stress comes on account of identifying with the results. Of superimposing on myself the responsibility of results. Lord Krishna does tell us to take responsibility in life. Karmanivadikaraste, hey Arjuna, you must take the responsibility for action, which is stress, but we have to take right now. In order to ultimately become free from this notion that I am the doer, discovering the fact that I am actionless, it is necessary to perform actions properly before discovering that I am free from action, I am free from the agency of action. So first lesson that Lord Krishna gives us is perform the actions properly. Because it is on account of performing actions improperly is that the various ragadveshas, likes and dislikes, and the consequent stresses and complexes have been accumulated. And therefore, the way to get rid of the ragadveshas or the complexes is to perform the actions in the right way. And the way to do it is to take the responsibility for action. And the way to take responsibility is to perform the action that is right. And what is meant by the right action is what a given situation calls for, what is becoming, becoming of me in a given situation. Because in every situation I am required to perform a certain role, I am required to respond to situation in a certain way, and I do it in a very dignified manner, in keeping with my dignity, in becoming of me. And therefore, performing actions in keeping with the basic value of life is the first responsibility. That I do unto others what I expect from them, I do not do unto them what I do not want them to do. Ideally, therefore, I place myself in the position of the other person before responding to that person, and I ask myself what it is that I would expect if I were in that position, and I attempt to respond in that way. <coughs> this is an attempt. When I can spontaneously do, I'm a wise person. Lord Krishna. So, Lord Krishna describes wisdom in many ways in the Bhagavad Gita. And one way of describing the wisdom, or spontaneity, or freedom, let us say, one beautiful way of describing freedom is that the wise person does what? So, wise person places himself in the position of others, 
and then acts. <coughs> that means he never hurts anybody because one cannot hurt oneself. Only one thing that I cannot hurt is myself. No Swami, that also people do, they hurt themselves. But not, not the self that is Satchidananda, you know. That's it. Even the, if I hurt this body for some reason or the other, you know, so for some madness, then also because there is a self that I do not want to hurt, you know. But I cannot hurt myself and therefore, if I place myself in the position of others and then respond accordingly, then I cannot hurt others also. In fact, in as much as a wise person sees his own self everywhere, therefore, he can never hurt. And therefore, he becomes a non-violent person in a primary sense. <coughs> then the seekers or aspirants should seek to become non-violent. <coughs> and that is what we would call taking responsibility for my action, that my action should be a non-violent action. That by my action, I do not hurt anybody. I do not trample upon the rights of, another pe- of other people. I do not progress at the cost of other people. I have the freedom to pursue my goals, no doubt, but then not at the cost of somebody else. <coughs> that kind of a sensitivity. So that is what is called the responsibility. The responsibility comes from sensitivity. And Lord Krishna teaches us the sensitivity. That like, you are not an, you are not an isolated person. You are in fact part of the whole universe, interconnected and interdependent. And just as you depend upon the whole universe, the universe also depends upon you. And therefore, what you do, what you say, what you think is something very important. It affects the whole world. And therefore, you must know that and you must act accordingly. (coughs) So this is taking responsibility for action. Whenever we have to take responsibility, there is stress. But we have to accept this stress in order to ultimately become free from the stress. So righteous stress is accepted in order to become free from the stress. Because stress is there anyway. But this will be called righteous stress. I mean, if you can use that expression. Like they could talk of righteous anger, you know. <laughs> Similarly, righteous stress. Righteous anger we have not accepted as yet, but righteous stress we accept. But is the further stress that comes on account of identifying the result that we can very well give up. That we should take responsibility in our life but responsibility which belongs to me and not responsibility that does not belong to me and the result is not something that is determined by me and therefore Lord Krishna says do not assume responsibility for result. <coughs> that is Mahaphalaya So taking responsibility of result is called attachment to the result. Because identification the result, that I am the producer of the result, which is not the case. So all of this has been said. <coughs> but then, ultimately, becoming free from the sense of doership is the freedom from the stress altogether. And therefore, when it is said that the wise person does not perform any action, it only means that even when he appears to perform all the actions, there is no burden at all, there is no stress because he is spontaneously acting he is spontaneously in, in, in tune with the order and therefore you can say the order is acting through him. That a seeker or aspirant is the one who has to be deliberate in trying to be in tune with the order. Because I have tendencies such as likes and dislikes which have a ten, you know, which will violate the order. So if I come under the sway of my likes and dislikes, 
in all probability I will violate the order and therefore as a seeker I must be deliberate to make sure that my actions are in keeping with the order and that requires me to keep my likes and dislikes or my impulses under check under restraint so I restrain my impulses of anger and resentment and jealousy and retaliation and things like that and make sure that I, I do what is right for me to do that is karma yoga <coughs> but as I said so that is reduced stress so samsari is a maximum stress who is samsari? the one who identifies the result maximum stress a karma yogi has reduced stress the one who will identify with the action <coughs> a devotee has yet reduced stress karma yoga devotee one who looks upon himself as an instrument of God and finally wise man has no stress at all because even while performing action he does not perform an action he has really become free from all responsibility so Lord Krishna teaches us that you should take responsibility in order to become free from responsibility because responsibility means stress Lord Krishna says I am really doing everything understand so he showed in the 11th chapter that he does everything yoga kshema vahamiham I am the one who actually sustains yoga and kshema yoga is getting what I do not have what I require and kshema is protecting what I have Lord Krishna says yoga kshema vahamiham I am the one that actually bears the yoga and kshema which is meaning I am the one that provides what is required and protects what is there. But in as much as human being takes upon himself the responsibility of yoga kshema, well, fine, do that. If you take the responsibility, God says, I will let you take. Then you take the burden. Ultimately, he is the burden. And even when I think that I am taking the burden, the burden belongs to him. Like this man who is, who is riding on a cable with all his household goods, and after some time because of the heat in the desert the poor camel is tired and exhausted and this man sees the camel is tired and out of pity on the camel he takes one huge bundle and he is sitting on the camel along with the whole household and he takes pity on the camel and takes one of the huge bundles and places on his head to relieve the burden of the camel <coughs> not recognizing that he himself is a burden of the camel anyway Similarly also we put a lot of bundles on our head of responsibilities and doership and whatever thinking that I am carrying their burden not recognizing that I am myself being carried <clears throat> but that is okay so the first step is to take the righteous responsibility on the way to become free from all the responsibility because in fact it is God who is doing everything but Swami you are talking like the person who is a fatalist that means there is no self-effort at all. There is no purusharth. No free will. There is only destiny. Well, as long as we are ignorant, there is free will. And we have to use our free will properly. But the wise person has no free will at all. He is totally in the hands of destiny. So freedom from the need to exercise free will, as we said, is the real freedom. But before we can gain that kind of freedom, there is a need to exercise free will properly so that one day we become free from the need to exercise free will. <coughs> but Swami, how can that be? When everything is alright? Suppose the need to exercise free will is because everything is not alright right now. It should be like this and it should not be like that and since everything is not alright right now therefore there is need on my part to exercise free will. If a time comes when everything is alright, 
going this way also as a land, that way also is all right. Like, you know, he tells the story of the sadhu with long hair. He is walking along the street. There is breeze coming from the other direction. So his hair is all falling on his face and then he cannot see. So what does he do? Turns around and walks the other direction. That's all. If walking this way also is all right, and walking other way also is all right, let us say. Then what can you do to that person? And similarly also for the wise person, this is also all right. If the thing is here, then also is all right. Is there, then also is all right. You know, it is, I am wearing is okay, somebody else is wearing is okay. I am eating is okay, somebody else is eating is okay. Suppose, sounds, you know, doesn't sound practical and stuff like that, but all this business of practicality, you know, that is what has made us samsara, you know. But anyway, all the time being practical and pragmatic and this is all insecurity. This is all right. As long as we are insecurity, we recognize it. We respect it and we use our free will, no question about it. We use it properly. Lord Krishna says, use the free will in a responsible manner as long as you are not comfortable. But he is teaching that someday we become so comfortable that it doesn't matter how things are. Sarvam Khaloidam Brahman, everything is Brahman. And therefore, going this way also is Brahman, going other way also is Brahman. Everything is Brahman. If this is so, because uh, somebody asked Swami, I mean, uh, Ramatirtha, so how come you gave up your family? He was a man of family, with children also. How come you gave up your family? Became a sadhu to make the whole world my family, he says. And so that does happen. Then it's fine. If it is my house, does it matter if the couch is here or there? If it is within my house, you know, when something is moved from here to where is okay? If the boundary of my house is only confined to this, then it goes out of the boundary, then it's not okay. But suppose the boundary of my house stretches and includes everything, then what does it matter what goes where? This is how it is. This is how it is for the, This is the kind of wisdom that Lord Krishna imparts to us and this is how much He wants us to grow. This is how much we have to grow is that my idea of self becomes so inclusive that it does not exclude anything, just anything. Swami, even evil also? Yes. The God that Vedanta presents is so exalted that he is not even opposed to evil, not opposed to anything. His stomach is so, you know, Lord, Lord Ganesha has a big stomach because the whole cosmos is in his stomach. He can stomach anything. And similarly, God has such big stomach that good and evil, right and wrong, everything has a place. Everything is within him. He can stomach everything. So when Vedanta says that you are Brahman, that means that whether I am Brahman in the sense of being omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, that is not the thing. But I am Brahman in terms of being as large-hearted as Brahman is, all-inclusive, not excluding anything. Such a wonderful ideal is presented before us. And therefore, Vedantins are not concerned about whether I become, I grow in my powers and stuff like that. That's a different matter. That's not Vedanta. There's another kind of samsara, of doing things so that I become powerful. So politicians get power outside and this fellow gets power within himself, which is all right, fine. Nothing wrong in it. But as Swamiji says, I can become mighty, I can never become almighty. And so, 
Vedantin doesn't even bother to do those things. Because when it is possible, what is possible for us, that's what we do. That this large-heartedness is possible, this generosity is possible, this all-inclusiveness is possible, and that is what we call the self-growth. And that's the, that is what Lord Krishna is teaching us here. Sutyagi sattva samavishtaha medhavi chinna samshaya And, so when Lord Krishna is teaching sannyasa, is not teaching sannyasa in terms of being inactive, non-participating. On the other hand, wise person can be very active, except that his activity is not, does not involve any abhimanam, any 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 sense of uh, individuality. That I am doing it, it is just getting done. So that is ultimate in surrender. The wisdom, in fact, just makes me so humble. And he is totally surrendered that he doesn't do anything. Who does it? It is God that does it. Who are you? I am merely an instrument in his hand. I am not even an instrument. I am not separate from him. But all that is not possible. And therefore, see, Lord Krishna keeps on saying all of this is because in India in particular, people may have a wrong notion that merely giving up the duties and adopting a certain lifestyle which is called sannyasa, that one becomes a sannyasi. One does not become a sannyasi by effort, by giving up action, by adopting a certain lifestyle. One becomes a sannyasi in spirit. And therefore, in Bhagavad Gita, sannyasa is described all along, but sannyasa in spirit, not so much in form. <coughs> As I said yesterday, Shankaracharya believes that sannyasa in form also is required. And he, he, est- he establishes a case as to how sannyasa in form also is required, but that only when its time comes. When the emotional maturity is there, when one be- has become free from any emotional support, one when he has become free from every kind of a support or need, when one finds oneself self-sufficient, well, then he says you must take sannyasa. That's what Shankaraja would say. But Lord Krishna would not say that, I guess. But Shankaraja would say, you must take sannyasa. Because then continue to perform the duties and is, is, is in fact a distraction to you. Now that you possess a mind with which you can contemplate upon the self, that's what you should do. In short, you should do that the best that you can do at a given point in time. And when you gain that emotional maturity, then spending your time in performing duty is not necessary because you can perform a superior kind of duty. And that is, duty in terms of knowing the self. And the self-knowledge, that knowledge of self that you are talking about is not the individual self anyway. It is the self of all. And therefore, it is ultimate in self-growth. So the first level of self-growth is karma-yoga by performing actions which are responsible and proper. And the second level of growth is by jnana-yoga, by knowing the self which is the self of all. And therefore, in the eleventh verse, Lord Krishna said, Deha Bhruta, one who has identification with the body, which is what one is born with. It's not that I have decided to be identified with the body. This is what I am born with. Because it is ignorance. Ignorance creates this false notion that I am the body, I am the mind. As we said, ignorance has two aspects. One aspect is that I do not know what I am. That I am actionless self, I do not know. And secondly, it brings about a dhyasa or superimposition and I take myself to be what I am not 
and this body-mind complex which I am not is what I take myself to be and that is how entertain the sense of doership. <coughs> so as long as the sense, so they have both meaning the one who is identified with the body-mind complex, meaning the one who entertains the notion that I am the doer. So Lord Krishna says, as long as, see what happens is that when I take this body as myself, then I have an abhimana, I have a certain, I have a certain notion about myself, a self-consciousness about myself, that I am a man, I am a Brahmin, I am a sannyasi, I am a grihastha, I am a father, I am a mother, I am a son. Some kind of a notion or some kind of a complex I have. And when I have that, I cannot but do something. And when I father, my son does something, I will be, you know, I will be motivated, prompted to do something, compelled to do something. Swamiji, when your children do this, you have to do something. No? Swamiji, when your neighbor does, you have to do something. Swamiji, when this person does, you have to do something. But in the Western society, you have to do something. In India, it doesn't matter, let him do what he does, what do we care? But not here. No. He cannot do that. He cannot carry away this. That's not right. Which is good. I think it's a good thing that people consider it their responsibility, but sometimes over responsibility also becomes a problem, you know. Everywhere there should be boundaries, but then India is, doesn't matter. That's one extreme. Here everything matters, another extreme. I hope that we have a balance between the two, that something matters and something can be let go, you know. But anyway, so this is how, as long as I have the self-consciousness that I am so and so, that I am the, uh, I am the manager of this place, let us say. The moment I see something, something must be done. Something else, if I am, you see, different people have different response to the same thing, you know. When I am walking by around, a lot of things you may see, nothing happens to you. Depends on who is walking by. But a gardener is walking by, he sees a little plant this way, immediately he is prompted, you know, straight away to do something. A carpenter is walking by, he sees a roof someplace, immediately he is prompted to do something. Depends on who you are. Or what your notion about yourself is. If I am the owner of the house, well, something, is, something prompts me. I am not the owner, it doesn't matter. If I am living in a motel room, if a bulb does not work, doesn't work. If something is okay, alright. But if I am the owner of the house, bulb does not work, must be replaced right now. This is not, this has to be do straightened. See how the consciousness that we have about ourselves automatically propels certain response from me. That's what Lord Krishna says that as long as a person has a self-consciousness that I am so and so, that is what is meant by Deha Bhut, that is one identified with the body body-mind complex and that is going to bring about the self-consciousness I am so and so and as long as I look upon myself as so and so then every situation will impel me to respond in a certain way either do something or withdraw I, both of them are actions and so tektum it is not possible for this person to give up the actions altogether as long as self-consciousness is there and so long what should he do? So long here, Arjuna, do this. That give up the attachment to the karma phala. Start from there. So you say, Lord Krishna recognizes attachment as the primary source of all the sorrow. The fundamental attachment is from ignorance. And this notion, identification with the body-mind complex, and notion that I am so and so. Then attachment action that I am the performer of action. 
and then attachment of result and action. I have produced this result. And then attachment of everything connected to the result. This is my house and then this is my garden, this is my flower and this is my pattern and this is my fruit and this is my bird, you know, in my garden. So it keeps on expanding. It is this attachment which is the cause of all the sorrow because when I am attached to something, then uh, what it is becomes important to me. And then it must be only in keeping with, when I am, I am comfortable if that thing is favorable to me. I am not comfortable if it is not favorable to me. In somebody else's garden there are weeds, it doesn't matter to me. In my garden there are weeds, it matters to me because it's my garden. The weeds matter to me because the mindness has come, understand? So anything becomes a problem when it gets connected to the eye. And by attachment what I am doing is that things get connected by. Lord Krishna wants us to slowly and slowly undo that process. To such an extent that even this body-mind complex also is not connected by, which it is not. It is ignorance that all of these things are connected. <clears throat> and therefore the first step where we start is giving up attachment to the result of action, the rewards of action. Become, you know, as less demanding as you can. Don't make demands. Become as giving as you can. And in return for giving, don't keep on making demands. Let giving be your privilege. That is called karma phalatyagi. Yes, to karma phalatyagi. So one who on the other hand, who is tyagi, who is renounced, renounce the karma phala, meaning renounce the identification with the karma phala, result of action. One who is non-demanding with reference to result of action, sahatyagi iti abhidiyate, he is called the renunciate. So Lord Krishna says the definition of renunciation varies depending upon the person. Everybody should become renunciate. But what sort of renunciation I should have depends upon where I am. Depending upon my level of maturity. And therefore, as long as I look upon myself as an individual and I am self-conscious as an individual, so long the kind of renunciation that I should have is of this nature. That I should renounce the attachment to the rewards of action. Not attachment to action. Because that attachment to action is required right now. The responsibility of action is required right now because it makes me free from the responsibility. Then I become a responsible person, I can drop responsibility of action also. Then I become a Vedisha Sanyasi, become a renunciate. And then, in process of studying everything, I even drop the identification with the doership. And I become completely free. And this is the process of progressive freedom. <coughs> now, Kim Punahatak Payavanam Yat Sarakarama Parityara Sadhiti So, why Lord Krishna is so emphasizing about renunciation of action? What do we get by that? So, that is what is being said in the twelfth verse. <coughs> Anishtamishtam Mishrancha Anishtamishtam Mishrancha Trividham Karmana Phalam Trividham Karmana Phalam Bhavatyatyaginam Pretya Bhavatyatyaginam Pretya Natusanyasinam Kvachita Natusanyasinam Kvachita Anishtam 
इष्टम मिश्रम च त्रिविधम कर्मण फलम कर्मण फलम त्रिविधम द रिजल्ट ऑफ द कर्म रिजल्ट ऑफ द एक्शन इज थ्री फोल्ड अनिष्टम अनडिजायरेबल इष्टम डिजायरेबल मिश्रम अ मिक्सचर स्वामी ऑलवेज कोर्स दिस मिश्रम यू नो एवरी मिश्रा एवरी मिश्रम इज वॉट दिक्सचर मिश्रम इज मिक्सचर सो ह्यूमन बींग मिक्सचर ऑफ डिजायरेबल एंड अनडिजायरेबल वॉट इज अनिष्टम अनडिजायरेबल इज द रिजल्ट ऑफ वॉट वी कॉल द पापर द सिंफुल एक्शन वॉट इज सिंफुल एक्शन एंड अनबिकमिंग एक्शन प्रोडक्टिस so when a person performs an action that is deliberately perform an action performs an action that is unbecoming when a person deliberately violates the order if unknowingly violate the order is a different thing like in a sleep also you kick somebody you know somebody is sleeping beside you you kick that person so you are not liable you are not held responsible because you did you are not conscious but when you are awake and you do that that would be a different bring a different consequence and so when a person deliberately violates the order that is called the sin if you want to use that word or unbecoming action a wrong action see question of right and wrong comes when there is a law if there is no law then there is nothing right and nothing wrong so in the gurukulam when we take walk you know there's in the, in, the, in the campus itself some people there is a, there is a road there is a pathway around you know circling the whole gurukulam some people walk clockwise some people walk anti clockwise i ask them why do you walk this way why not swami ji that's true also there is no law that you should walk only one side and therefore you can do it either way but when you are circumambulating the lord let us say you know then there is a way of doing it you must only circumambulate in the clockwise direction in the direction of sun there is clockwise the direction of sun if you do it other way that will be wrong because there is a way of doing it if there is no law if there is no particular way then everything is okay now when you circumambulate lord shiva then there is yet another another caution to exercise which we don't often exercise but uh, traditionally when you circumambulating lord shiva you see lord shiva of course uh, this is the image here but usually lord shiva is always in the form of an image in linga as linga and then there is a stand on which that linga is placed and then the water flows down so usually the linga faces east and the yoni faces the north and that water always you know is discharged in the northern direction so this is how it goes so when you are circumambulating lord shiva then you should not cross the the passage of water you know which abhisheka water So you know how they do this uh, circumambulation? They start from here, go this way, and back, and this way, and back, because they do not want to cross the passage of water. If you cross, it is wrong. So what is right and what is wrong, you have to know, of course, you know. But the point is that when there is a law or when there is a rule, then following the rule becomes right, and violating the rule becomes wrong. Similarly, also there is a rule in this universe. There is an order. There is a harmony, and therefore, an action performed in keeping with that order of harmony would be a right action. And an action performed deliberately violating the harmony would be called a wrong action. 
and wrong action will bring its consequences. Although people here in this world may not recognize that. And therefore I can escape the consequences here. But I cannot escape the consequences in the universal scheme of things. And therefore one has to, uh, one, one is accountable for whatever one does. So Anishtam, a person, when and what we call an unbecoming or wrong action is performed, in violation to the order, it brings about result which is in, of the nature of pain. On the other hand, when I perform an action that is in keeping with the order, it is called the righteous action. It is called the right action. And that also brings me reward in terms of pleasure. And mixture. Some actions are right and some actions are wrong. That is called mixture. <coughs> and thus it is said in the scriptures that after the death of this individual, depending upon what kind of results or actions is accumulated. If there is an accumulation of predominantly what we call right actions, there is accumulated a lot of punya, a lot of virtue, and he gets qualified to go into the realms such as heavens, where he will enjoy the pleasures in, uh, in result, as a result of all the good actions he has done. If the fellow is violated, like, you know, his free will, then the consequences will be, he will be born in the lower species, which are all full of pain. And so, the day will be, or he may go to hell and things like that, you know, he may go to hell, he born as animals, and whatever it is, where there is predominance of pain. <coughs> and it is a mixture of the two, that he is born as a human being. So, human being is a mishra, mixture of punya and papa. Why should it be? I don't know. I think, but anyway, that's how it is. That's what, how they explain. That's the reason why there is pain in our life. So whatever pain that we experience in our life is all result of some karma that we have performed. I mean, it sounds very cruel, but that's how it has to be understood. Even though it appears that somebody is inflicting me pain, but we would only say that the one who appears to inflict pain to me is just instrumental in causing a situation which was destined to be created for me, so that I had to go through the experience. And therefore, whatever experience I am going through, I am destined to go through depending upon the action that I perform, and the world becomes responsible in some way or the other in creating the situation. This becomes easy, this is nice, because then we don't blame anybody. I don't blame my mother and I don't blame my father and my uncle and the society and other people, because I say that all of them are like, uh, what do you call them? Like the, uh, the, uh, the puppets, all of them are like puppets. And so, they do whatever it is they are inspired to do. And so, they create the situation for me, so that I can go through these experiences which I was destined to go through. This is one explanation of the experiences that have happened to us, that have happened to us, and that continue to happen to us. Because naturally, otherwise there is a lot of anger and a lot of pain on account of what people have done to me, but this one can resolve that pain that in, the, in the understanding that this was meant to happen. So that person became an instrument in just making it happen and therefore if I would direct my anger at somebody, not to that person, but direct it to some actions I may have performed. Swami, does it mean I should direct anger at myself? No. Because those things were done because of ignorance. So I can direct my anger at ignorance. And what's the use of directing anger at ignorance? Because anger is a product of ignorance anyway. And therefore, that way nobody is to blame except ignorance. 
So as far as Vedantin is concerned, the only thing to be blamed if there is anything is ignorance. All evil is product of ignorance. Wherever evil is in myself or anybody else or anywhere else is all product of ignorance. And what can you do with an ignorant person? Your code of law also will not punish him because he's ignorant. And therefore no blaming. So this is what this law of karma helps us to do. <coughs> not that, oh, this is my karma and my praradna, I keep on blaming myself. That also not the right thing to do. Blame ignorance if you have to. But why ignorance? Nobody knows. And therefore, God, blame God. No point in that also. Because only ignorance is to be blamed. Anyway, so this is the threefold, karmana trividam phalam. Lord Krishna says this threefold is the result of the action. <coughs> and one is accountable for all the actions when bhavati atyaginam pretya. Pretya meaning after death. Pretya after death, atyaginam trividam karma phalam bhavati. For those who are atya, non-renunciates. So we renunciate. So anyway, so those are non-renunciates or unrenunciates, I don't know. So non-renunciates, they are account, they are, they are stuck with this threefold result of action. Nadu sannyasinam kochit, but this threefold result does not come to the renunciates. That's, that's the reason why people want to become renunciates. So, see, see the second line of this verse, bhavati atyaginam pratya. Nada sannyasinam kachita. Atyaginam. The one, those who are not tyagi. Who is called a tyagi? Look at the previous verse. Yastu karma vatyagi, satyagi te avidhyate. Who is called a tyagi? See, Lord Krishna gave the definition of a tyagi. The one who has renounced karma phala, one who has renounced the rewards of the action, he is a tyagi. Not a tyagi, he is responsible for the result of action. He is accountable. One of the tyagi is not. But that tyagi only karma yogi. So Lord Krishna means to say that a karma yogi becomes free from the result of the actions after dying, that means he becomes liberated. See, after dying a person does not have to experience a result, then there is no embodiment. The reason why we take this embodiment is because we have to experience the result of the action that we have performed in the past. If, however, I have no, no actions, no results to experience, then there is no need to take another body, then I am liberated. So when we said that those who are sannyasis are, are resolved, or they are released, or absolved, let us say, from the need to experience the action, that means the sannyas are there who are liberated. That they do not have to take another embodiment after dying. But those who are not tyagis are not liberated. So somebody said, wait a minute, see, Lord Krishna himself has given the definition of a tyagi. And who is a tyagi? Karma, karma yagi. That is why you have to study Bhashya. We are, you know, we are not going into this technicality here. But I thought I just may mention this technicality at this point here. There are many technicalities that have gone by. And you can, you see, if you study the Bhashya, then Bhashya Kara is so particular about defining and explaining every word. And therefore, when you say Tyagi, in the earlier, Satyagi, Tyavidhiyate, 
Karmi Apisana is Tuti Abhiprayana. Bhashyakara explained that in the eleventh verse, this Karma Yogi was called a Tyagi. Karma Yogi was called a renunciate. Shankaravara said that, that that Tyagi or renunciate is not in a primary sense, is merely to extol him, merely to encourage him. So whether a certain designation is given in primary sense, or the designation is given to encourage him, to extol him, to, you know, so when a karma yogi is called tyagi or renunciate, does Lord Krishna mean that a karma yogi is a renunciate in a primary sense? Shankarajani said no. Lord Krishna calls him tyagi or renunciate only in a secondary sense because an element of renunciation is there. Karma yogi is performing action, has a sense of doership also. But he has renounced something. Why is he renounced? His attachment to the reward of the action is what he has renounced. Therefore, an element of renunciation is there. So that in course of time he will become a full renunciate. He will renunciate the first stage. Someday he will renounce the actions also become renunciate of the second stage. And someday he will renounce also the sense of doership, become renunciate in a full measure, primary sense. But since he is on his way to that renunciation, therefore, he is just praised here and he is called renunciate to glorify even the renunciation of the result of action that he has done to glorify that he is here extolled as a renunciate but he is not a renunciate in a primary sense he is yet to become renunciate <coughs> so therefore sannyana so then coming to verse 12 nadu sannyasinam pachita sannyasinam is those who are renunciates in a primary sense Meaning those are renunciates with reference to the sense of doership. He alone is called sannyasi in a primary sense. So in the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna uses the word sannyasi in primary sense as well as in a secondary sense. Therefore, when you study the scriptures, it becomes very important to understand the purport of the word. In what meaning the word is used is very important. Therefore, we should know the intention of the speaker. Because the word can have a grammatical meaning. And word can have a conventional meaning also. And still the speaker may have used that word in his own way. And therefore, we have to determine what is the purport or what is the intention of the speaker in using the word. That is the reason why the commentators are required to tell us in what sense Lord Krishna uses a given word in a given verse. So, word sannyasa is used by Lord Krishna in a primary sense in terms of a person who is renunciate by virtue of knowledge. One who has abidance in knowledge. And he is a sannyasi in a primary sense. What we call vidvat sannyasi. Other people are called sannyasi. A karma yogi however is called sannyasi in more than one places. In the first two of six chapter, anashitaha karma phalam karyam karma karodhyaha sa sannyasi cha yogi cha na niragnana chakriya In the first verse of the sixth chapter, the karma yogi who performs his bounden duty without demanding any reward for that, he is a sannyasi as well as a yogi. He was extolled there by calling him sannyasi and yogi. But there the word sannyasi and yogi was used not in a primary sense, in a secondary sense. But to extol him. Then I want to become a sannyasi. Everybody wants to become a sannyasi. Then do this. This is how to encourage a person, he is called sannyasi. And here also Lord Krishna is the word in the twelfth verse. Not a sannyasi naam kajita. A sannyasi becomes liberated or free from consequence of all the actions. Which sannyasi? Not that sannyasi which was in the secondary sense, but sannyasi in the 
primary sense. Atyagena, which tyagi? Not the tyagi of the eleventh verse where the word tyagi is used in a secondary sense, but the word tyagi or renunciate in a primary sense. See, if you don't know this, then this is very confusing. In eleventh verse, Lord Krishna defines the tyagi. In the twelfth verse, he uses the word tyagi also. In eleventh verse, the word tyagi is used in the secondary sense. In the twelfth verse, the word tyagi is used in the primary sense. That's the reason why they say, Acharyavan Purushaveda. Who can understand the, the secret of the scriptures? Acharyavan Purusha, one who is fortunate enough to have an Acharya, fortunate enough to have a teacher. So, because a teacher is required to unfold the significance of these statements. <coughs> and so, Lord Krishna says, one who is a sannyasi, meaning one who is a wise person, one who has become free from the sense of doership. He is no more accountable for any results or actions at all and therefore he does not have to take a new body. If the actions remain in my account then I must take another embodiment to exhaust the result of the actions. But the one person, the sannyasi is the one who has become free from sense of doership and therefore he no more is accountable for any actions performed in the past and therefore he is liberated while living. He is what we call Jivan Muktaha, liberated while living. Whereas anybody else, Atyagina, those who have not risen to the level of having given up the sense of doership, all of them have to be born, depending upon the kind of actions they have performed. <coughs> and we will we'll explain in the next class that the birth of course is in different ways depending on what I have done. All of this has been discussed in the Bhagavad Gita in the earlier chapters that what happens to a karma yogi, what happens to a, a vividisha sannyasi, what happens to uh, a samsari, what happens to an evil-minded person. So, depending upon what a person is, accordingly the next verse is going to be. But then the next embodiment will be. That means the samsara or the bondage will continue and bondage will come to an end only when one gains liberation from the sense of the worship. <coughs> By knowing the self that is actionless. And therefore, that's the highest. The first is the sannyasi. Below that is a vividisha sannyasi, person who is pursuing the knowledge. What happens when he dies? If he dies before gaining the moksha, then the sixth chapter explains what happens to him. That he gets appropriate embodiment where he continues his pursuit. Because one who has started on this path can never fall back. Lord Krishna gave an assurance. The one who has started on this path of Kalyana, he can never, there can never be a, a loss for him, he can never fall back from his status, he will continue to rise. If the person is a karma yogi, third level, karma yogi, then what? Well, karma yogi also will be born appropriately to continue his pursuit. Person is performing action, he is a good person, but his performing action as desire prompted, he will go to heaven. So Chandraloka, experience result of the actions and come back and start all over again. Or the person who is violating the values, he will go to Naraka or he will go to other yonis. This is how the different people will get different kinds of embodiments and they will continue. So thus we accept what we call the rebirths, what they call here reincarnation, the rebirths. As long as my agenda is not complete, 
as long as I don't gain total freedom, so long my agenda is not complete, so long this pursuit will continue. So only reason why I am born is I am born with agenda and that I want to be free. If the agenda is not complete, I'll continue to strive and take embodiment until that freedom is gained. <coughs> and so Lord Krishna says, therefore, one should become a sannyasi in a primary sense because then alone one is totally free. Bhindyate rudeya granthi chidyante sarvasamshayaha shiyante chasya karmani tasmin drushte paravare Mandakopanishad says that when one sees the parayandavara, sees the identity between the jiva and ishvara, that is one that discovers oneself as Brahman, then becomes free from all the doubts, all the doubts are cut asunder, all the complexes are gone, and he becomes free from all kinds of karma. Sanjita karma, agami karma, prarabdha karma, all this karma arithmetic is given, you know, accumulated actions, and prarabdha means actions that have borne their fruit, agami karma actions that are going to be performed, and since he is free from chance of doership, you are performing actions, he does not perform no agami karma. Since he is no more a doer, therefore all the sanchita karmas are gone to the account of the person who has done it, he is no more that person. And when it comes to prarabdha, he goes to it without being identified with it. And that is how the arithmetic of karma is explained that the wise person is free from all the karma. <coughs> he is therefore liberated while living. Who? That is called a sannyasi. He is called Jivan Mukta. He is the one who attained that goal. And that should be the goal that we have, attaining sannyasa of that nature. <coughs> okay. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavanta Upunaf Punaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shantishan Tishantihi Harihi Om Sri Guru Namaha Harihi Om